Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I am joined by... Andy Gramuga. Emilio Diaz. And not Cullen Ashley, who is probably asleep, may join us at some point, probably won't. So, today, we're going to mainly talk about my very early predictions for the Cannes competition lineup of, uh what will be competing for the Palme d'Or. But before we get to that, we've got a few pieces of news to go through. And first, Shirley has picked up distribution from uh, Neon. Yeah. Good news. uh, Uh, They're doing good work these days. They just won Best Picture with a foreign film. We'll talk about that in a bit. So yeah. they uh, might be the greatest distributor known to man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, remember when we all felt this way about a twenty-four post Moonlight? Yeah, and they also uh, I believe their only other movie that has made money is I Tanya. So that's I don't know. I I don't necessarily expect this to be a a big hit for them. Necessary, but but they seem to get just about everything out there, so people should be able to see it at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what I'm looking for in distribution, even I, if it may be seen as a failure. Yeah. Then... I hope they start bringing back the shorts. Back when they were first starting out, they used to put a yeah. short in front of their stuff, and I hope they do start doing that again. I think that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. I know I saw Gemini with a short. Did I Tanya have a short? I don't think so. I think, think so. um uh Ingrid Goes West did. Mm, I think yeah, that's the one I saw with well. a short. Yeah. Did Colossal have a short? It might have. Probably definitely did not see Colossal in a theater. I mean, not Col- definitely. I thought about seeing it. Colossal, I think one of my brother's ten favorite movies of the decade. <laughs> I mean it's pretty good. <laughs> But yeah. Oh, they also put out the beach bum. I did not remember that they yes, were the beach bum. They put out the beach bum. I do not think that went very well. No. Seems to have I made they... exactly its budget, which is not good. <laughs> yeah. I believe they. I think either they sent it wide immediately or they were going to. I think what happened is they were going to just send it wide right off the bat and then, like, two weeks before the release they were like actually it's coming out two weeks later and there is going to be a week where it's uh um just in new york and la something like that it it wasn't well thought out though that was around the same time that uh her smell was also getting a poorly thought out release uh, it, from my perspective at least didn't it like it like premiered at berlin and then, like, a week later it came out? It premiered at South... Uh, it may have played Berlin, too. I know it played South by Southwest. Yeah, it did, did premiere at South by Southwest. It did not... Do not mm-hmm. know if it played Berlin. It could have. Uh, if it premiered at South by Southwest, I don't believe it can have played Berlin. So... Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Neon had, had, you know, as we, aside from just Parasite, they had an excellent year in terms of critical buzz, right? Like, Clemency mm-hmm. had its, its share of, uh, people who liked it. They had that, uh, 
that dock was the the biggest little farm dock was like weirdly mm. buzzy. I feel like yeah. Um, they also had ha- they also had Honeyland and Apollo Eleven. That's right. Yeah. Right. So um, they're good with ducks. yeah, and also yeah. Um. So so yeah. I mean, it was a, it's a good year for them. They seem to have figured their stuff out. You know, for a while it was like I don't know the reputation. I guess in our circles was like, well, they just try to be a twenty four, but with bad movies. Um, but it seems right. like they are uh, are shaking that, and uh, and that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Now they're A24 with uh, good movies that still probably don't make money. Yeah. No. Hey, maybe Parasite can power them forward for three years. Who knows? Maybe this is the year that they figure out uh, how to make uh, American independent films make money. Who, yeah, who knows? Uh, they also have Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is like... Yeah, not in three days. Yes, highly um, recommended by all. Please go see it yep, if you have yeah, wonderful not. movie. Please. We'll certainly be talking about it when we get to our awards for 2019, which is getting ever closer, or perhaps getting uh, ever further as we continue to not watch movies from 2019. You'll, uh, you'll get that up eventually. Don't worry, people. Yep. Yes, it's gonna be a real rowdy one. Yep. Feelings will be uh, hurt. I can predict that, certainly. I'm, I'm sure. I'm going in with the intention of hurting feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what that's the purpose of all that's uh, right is to hurt feelings the purpose yeah. of all podcasts yes speaking of awards the oscars happened a uh, couple days ago i didn't watch them but i did hear that uh pedro almodovar on the red carpet talked about his next two projects which are exciting uh both of them are forays into English language work, which I think he's been talking about potentially doing for a while. At one point, he uh, considered making Julieta with Meryl Streep. But uh, these two movies, the first one is a short film starring Tilda Swinton that is an adaptation of a Jean Cocteau one-act play that was also the... Uh, inspiration for a early iteration of women on the verge of a nervous breakdown uh and then he also which this i think got a little bit of buzz uh he mentioned this a little bit back at Cannes when he was premiering pain and glory which is the film that he was at the oscars for he mentioned that he was gonna adapt uh lucia berlin's short story collection uh, several of the stories from uh, a manual for cleaning women, which is, he says that the five stories uh, that he has picked take place in Texas, Oakland, and Mexico. So there's going to be some English and some Spanish. So uh, even ignoring that they're Pedro Almodovar movies, both sound very cool. Yeah, that's super ambitious sounding, which is, you know, always, Mm -hmm. for someone especially who has been working in film for so long and has so much experience, like, still being Mm -hmm. ambitious at his age is is just something to celebrate. Yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. always a little slightly, like, 
I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but I'm always like, whenever people are just like, yeah, this is the shit I'm making on a red carpet, I'm always a little like, are you actually going to make that or are you just saying that in an interview? But if he is, then I'm sure. excited for it. At least the manual for cleaning oh. women, he seems like he's been on it for a while, though. Yeah. Also, directors mm-hmm. like circle around this project for a while and then end up making nothing. But I'm excited. I right. I I don't know if I if it's like fully an exciting prospect to me that just that he's making a movie in English, but just a, like a different sort of circle of actors and stuff that he could play with with moving to English, I guess is exciting. And Tilda mm-hmm. Swinton seems to be an inter- an interesting person who just like, yep. is the, is now canonically the bridge for directors to make <laughs> um, American movies after making European and Asian movies. So it's like, yeah, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Cause she yep. has like, yeah, she did like a bigger splash for Guadalino and like, what else? It's like she worked with Bong before Parasite. She's working mm-hmm. with Apu Pong now. She's work, gonna work yep. with Almodovar. So it's like interesting. I guess as a person who looks like she's from mm-hmm. outer space, she can fit into <laughs> any. It's into looking at yeah. from anywhere. I mean, like she also worked with uh, Luca Guadagnino in uh, before Bigger Splash and Call Me by Your Name on the Italian movie made called I Am Love. I want to say she learned Italian for that movie. Uh, I'm going to quote from the film stage, which is quoting Almodovar on Tilda Swinton. Uh, he said, You need that feeling that someone understands you completely. In the case of Tilda, it was exactly how I dreamed of her. She's so open, so intelligent. She gave me a lot of confidence with the logic. In the rehearsal, we understood each other very closely. So, sounds like... They are getting along famously. Apparently the only characters are Swinton and her character's dog. And he's going to shoot it in April. So perhaps that'll be done by the end of the year. Seeing it's a short film. Yeah. One-sided phone call is, is sort of a, a gimmick that I that I can get behind. There was um, an Oscar-nominated short that was that uh, in like two years ago. Or like not, not this, but not for this the Oscars that just happened, but the year before, um, I think that's a really fun just concept for a short um, that that I that is so actor focused um, that that I find very appealing. Love me some Pedro. Recently watched Women yeah. on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown for the first time. That movie is perfect. I love it. So anything in that realm, but with English actors, will be very very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course. In terms of making a movie based on multiple short stories from a collection, he of course did that with Julieta, though those stories, I think three stories are all based on the same character from uh, Alice Monroe collection. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting if he's like, is looking to like, consolidate, yeah, those those stories into a same character like he did with Julieta, or if he's actually going to make something more, like, disparate and, like, anthology-like. So, mm-hmm. that's very, yep. very exciting to hear from his part. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I get, uh, you guys actually watch the Oscars. Perhaps you have something to say about them. Hmm, what do I have to say? This is... It was a wonderful really... night for Oscar. <laughs> I don't know about it. 
it's one of those things where the ending was just so good and exciting that right. you forget about how weird and bad the show is. But listen, my favorite director working one best director foreign language film picture and screenplay though mm-hmm. who can complain right i mean that's the thing like f- way back when the nominations came out and they were disappointing uh i remember being like well i mean there is the potential for like some good wins in this and that was mainly like well if parasite can sweep like i think most people will be pretty happy and uh lo and behold those bastards pull it off uh, they, uh, they, they made it happen. They, I just, yeah, I was at, I was at a viewing party with some people. Um, and the, the moment I think when, when Bong won best director was like the biggest like catharsis of the evening. I feel like just cause like that was when it really was like, oh, this is happening now. Like we're, we're, it's going all the way. Uh, it's going to take it. Um, and, uh, I think, yeah, that was just so exciting to see. Um, and yeah. Y- yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it was also the best speech of the night where, like, Bong obviously gave gave credit and appreciation to Martin Scorsese, who seemed to be a hero of his, and quoted mm-hmm. him. He also gave a lot of credit to Quentin Tarantino, who was an early champion of his movies, as mm-hmm. he's known to be with, like, foreign and especially Asian cinema. He's very big into, like, mm-hmm. br- programming it at his theaters and, like, telling mm-hmm. people to watch it. So he was on, he was very... He was visibly, visibly very thankful of that. So it was, yeah, right. it was a good night. He did uh, acknowledge d- that Sam Mendes and uh, uh, Todd Phillips were also in the room. Um, yes, they also uh, made films this year that were nominated for best director. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, the Palm d'Or winning movie won best picture, which is yep, impressive. Yeah, good for our podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that is, that relevant. was definitely the main thought in my head when it won. It was like, this is good for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Especially later in this pod, we might talk about other movies that might be Palm d'Or contenders and mm-hmm. Oscar contenders. Yeah. So, yeah. I assume it was also uh, Bong's first thought as he was winning all these awards. <laughs> oh, it'll be good for that podcast. Did he shout us out and then uh, it just didn't get translated properly? Who's to say? I don't know. Um, yes, uh, yeah, I, I, and I mean, yeah, it's, it, it really does speak to, I think, you know, the, to think about, like, the broader, like, conversation that the Academy is trying to have, as far as, like, what sorts of things they are honoring, and that, I think, they are definitely, in the push to diversify, it, it is, they are both diversifying on gender and racial lines, and also as far as internationally, and I think we're starting to see some signs of that coming through. It's definitely not an all-the-time thing. I think we can still expect the Academy to to make a lot of uh, pretty straight-down-the-middle uh, middle America choices uh, at, at times. But I think there is definitely just more openness to international stuff, which I think you know o- o- increases the chances that uh, more things that like play at international film festivals will do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if it you think it... about it, just like A to B, a person who has won Best Director twice this decade was Alejandro González Iñárritu, which makes him not only very a very a member of the Academy, but a very prominent member of the Academy who might have some sway. Who is also the president of the jury at Cannes, who gave Parasite the Palme d'Or win? So that is true. There is like some diversification there that might be working. Who knows? Uh, the 
previous film to win uh, Best Picture and the Palme d'Or was about 65 years ago, mm-hmm. and that movie is called Marty. Yes, 1955's uh, Marty, directed by Delbert Mann, uh, written, of course, by the great Paddy Chayefsky, based on a teleplay that he wrote, um, which uh, I was so excited that I went out to the library and I rented Marty and I watched Marty on uh, Monday uh, after the, after the Parasite win. Uh, and I gotta say, I really liked Marty. Marty's a really, really good movie. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a, I, I, are you guys have any familiarity with it at all? Absolutely not. I no. just read the Wikipedia and I'm familiar with it that Patty Chayefsky wrote it and then Ernest Borgnine is the star. He's the That's titular right. Marty. Yes, he plays Marty in Marty. Um, it's a tight 90 minutes. Uh, it's, uh, it's basically the story of like Marty's Saturday night. Uh, and, like, a little bit on the Sunday morning. Um, he's, like, a regular, like, guy in the Bronx. Uh, I think it does have certain thematic uh, ideas in common with Parasite, where it is very much, like, this is a guy who's working class. Like, he he works at a butcher shop and is, like, maybe considering owning it if uh, and, and, and taking out a loan to buy the butcher shop as, like, the owner is moving away. Uh, and Marty is, um, he's, like... 34 years old, I think, and he's he's a bachelor. Uh, he has never had much luck with women. And, like, there's one early on scene where you see him, like, try to call a girl uh, and, and, like, ask her out, and it does not go well. And he, he obviously feels pretty, uh, pretty low on himself and, like, at one point was, like... He lives with his mom and, like, is like, yeah, I'm, like, ugly or whatever, so, like, it's it's fine. I'm just gonna be a bachelor forever. Um, and then on this night, he, he goes... His mom sort of shoes him out of the house tries to get him to go to a dance hall, and he goes and he meets a woman uh, there uh, who is... there's. It's sort of a complicated situation where she is, like, on a blind date with a guy who, like, wants to ditch her so that he can hook up with another girl, and so he, like, connects with this girl, uh, and they spend the night together dancing, and, they, and, and then they, like, go to a, a diner and get food and stuff, and they have a nice night. Um, and a lot of it ends up just sort of being, like, a character study of these people... Uh, who are in Marty's life, and specifically a character study of Marty, uh, as to, like, whether he feels like that he can have ambitions in his life, and whether he can, like, want for something more in his life. Um, I really responded well to it. It's got, you know, as as you might expect from, like, a writer like Patty Shayevsky, it's got, like, really, like, fun, crackling dialogue, um, and uh, is uh, shot in black and white. Uh, it, it looks really good. Um, uh, I, yeah, I had a really great time watching Marty. I think it's just, like, a really enjoyable, like, nice, like, fairly small-scale character study um, that I really uh, uh, got a lot out of. A small-scale character study about a regular guy from the Bronx. Sounds like it may have something in common with the previous Best Picture winner as well. <laughs> yes, I mean... Uh, I don't think he eats a full pizza at any point. He definitely uh, can put some food away. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think, a lot more nuanced and thoughtful than, uh, <laughs> the movie that we are, uh, I do not want to name, certainly. Yeah. Uh, also, Rainbow. one, yes, just like, uh, Parasite also won for, um, for Oscars, uh, it won Best Picture, it won Best Director, it won Best Adapted Screenplay, because Patty Chayefsky adapted it from his own uh, tele- teleplay, because it was like on, it, it was a TV play, uh, play, 
that he adapted for a, the, a movie, which let's bring that back. Um, uh, <laughs> writing things for li- writing little plays for TV and then adapting them into movies. Yes, please. Uh, and then Ernest Borgnine also won best actor for it, uh, which as we know, Parasite didn't get any acting nominations for reasons that are uh, maybe not exciting, but um, uh, yeah, I like, I, I, I enjoy them as like a twin viewing experience. I think, I think that would be, mm-hmm. it would be a pretty solid double feature. If you want to just sit yourself down and watch Marty and watch Parasite. That like, say what you want about the Palm d'Or. There's some some interesting like back to back like weird winners there. In that the year before Marty, it was a samurai movie called Gates of Gate of Hell one, and it was like the first samurai movie to ever be shot in color. And the year after, it was a Jacques Cousteau documentary. So it's like, yeah, interesting that's... contrast. They got a wide palette. Yeah, I I looked up earlier. I forget his name. Who was on? Who like was the president of the jury that awarded Marty? It was some French playwright who I uh, am not familiar with. Um, yeah, the uh, there is one other movie that you have to be a little vague that won the top prizes both from the Academy and Cannes, and that is Lost Weekend, the Billy Wilder film. But that's kind of a cheat because that is from the first year of Cannes, in which the Grand Prix, which at that point was their top prize, went to 11 out of roughly 40 films that were in competition. So, a little bit less prestigious, perhaps. But, uh, speaking of Cannes, we're gonna get into, uh, what I think is gonna be playing there in may yes jesse has prognosticated folks and Mm -hmm. you get to hear it first Uh uh-huh so we're gonna start off with perhaps an oscar player though uh we've maybe talked about the oscars enough for one episode uh no let's keep going i i want to keep talking about them all night long Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Uh, Wes Anderson, his last two movies, opened the Berlin Film Festival, and they both won... uh, They both... I think maybe one won Best Director and one won the Grand Prix or something. Grand Prize, not a Prix in Germany. Uh, And Moonlight opened Cannes, where it did not win anything, though it was also in competition. Uh, And I am going to go ahead and guess that he will be back to opening can just based on the uh starry and high profile cast and the uh frenchness of the title (laughs) and probably the movie itself yes uh for people who have not heard the movie is called the french dispatch should we say that or there's a full subtitle i believe uh the french dispatch of the liberty kansas evening sun and it's like a love letter to the press the press is what I've heard it described as. Mm-hmm. And it's got like a big sprawling cast with uh, many of your Wes Anderson favorites uh, back to play. Um, yeah. And... New favorites. Yeah. Some people who may or may not make complete sense for what he does, like old Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright, Benicio. Has Benicio been in one before? No. I don't think so. Uh, Elizabeth Moss also in it. There were a number of stills released today, one of which she features in. The doesn't seem to be one of the featured cast members. There's sort of the 
the build uh, like 10 to 15 people and then another list of 10 to 15 people where it's like oh and these people are also in it right and the, the word on the street is like it's like a bifurcated structure right as he's been playing around with structure a lot uh, of his, in his films of late where there's like the larger overall story of the like creation of this magazine it seems like and then some dramatizations of the actual content of the magazine uh, and so yes. that's how you're able to have such a big cast. That seems to be the case. Uh, I believe Ayanna Murray on Twitter suggested that looking at the stales, the overarching story seems to be in color, while the uh, news stories appear to be in black and white, which is interesting. Yes, uh, similar to how we uh, played around with aspect ratios in um, Grand Budapest Grand Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Yep. Um... Yeah, looks good. There is. You mentioned that there was a New Yorker article today that was like a preview of it mm. that includes all of the photos that are circling okay. around. It seems to. He seems to have chosen the New Yorker as the people to release this photo that they seem to be a chief inspiration for the type of right. French dispatch that is featured in the film. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Some character names. Timothy Chalamet is named Zeffirelli. Okay. Probably in reference to the director. Franco, yes. Lots lots of good faces in it. Love to see Henry Wigler and Bob Balaban in the same photo. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm fairly excited for this. I, you know, Wes Anderson is... I tend to prefer his animated stuff, especially Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, to most of the live action stuff I've seen, although I am missing most of the early stuff of his. Uh, but this one, you know, I think that like that structure where it's like a lot of little stories in in a bigger one, uh, I I like that idea for him. I think that seems like a a, a good match for what his style uh-huh. l- lends yeah. itself to. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, Royal Tenenbaums is uh, the masterpiece. That is a movie I have a lot of affection for. Yeah, I enjoy uh, Rushmore and Grand Budapest a lot. I yeah, I just like mm-hmm. his style. I like looking yeah, at his movies. He's a good director. Even, yeah, makes good ones. Now we've got a film that we talked about in our 2020 preview. In fact, my most anticipated film of the year, which is of course Leos Carax's Annette. Uh, Carax's previous film, Holy Motors, was in competition at Cannes, where it did not win anything despite uh, high levels of acclaim because reportedly the jury president, Nani Moretti, who we will be talking about later, did not care for it at all. This is, of course, a film about a comedian whose opera singer wife passes away leaving him with a daughter that's about all we know about it the music is by spark um yeah i think i mentioned last time it seems like part of it takes place on a boat uh based on the adam driver Mm -hmm. profile that ran i believe in new york magazine or maybe the new yorker um and yeah it's uh it's definitely uh something that has so many elements going for it yep uh, worth noting that uh, Ad, uh, Adam Driver has a big fan in the, uh, 
president of the jury, Spike Lee, so would not be shocked to see him taking away the Best Actor prize. But yeah, highly anticipated. Uh, another movie we've got is Sofia Coppola. Uh, if you can't tell, I've been going in alphabetical order by the last name of the director. And her film is called On the Rocks, uh, starring Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. Uh, Coppola has been at Canaton. Her last movie, The Beguiled, was there, and it won Best Director for her. Before that, uh, The Bling Ring opened up uh, on certain regard, but I don't see any particular reason that this movie would not make it in competition. It is produced partially by Apple, along with A24, but as far as I know, Apple is only involved in the U.S. release, so that should not be an issue with the French draconian streaming laws that have uh, made it impossible for Netflix films to play at Cannes, at least in competition. Can we talk about that a little more if people aren't familiar? Yeah, so uh, they have a rule where in France where if a movie is going to play in theaters, it has to be, it has to wait like, it's like a full something year like two or two I think it might even be like two or like two or three years to be released to streaming. And so then, as an extension of that, Cannes has a rule where every film that plays in competition has to be released into theaters in France at some point. Or they're, they're not, they're at the very least not willing to program a film that does not have a shot at uh, being released into theaters in France. And so... Supposedly, Terry Fremont has been looking for potential solutions to this, but nothing seems imminent, so I would imagine this is a year in which we will continue to not have Netflix films in Cannes. There's not necessarily anything super obvious. Uh, maybe Dick Lee's new movie would have a better shot. It playing there if it were not Netflix, though Toronto, as I mentioned when we talked about it on our 2020 preview, seems to have already kind of staked their claim into that film. Uh, but yeah, so that is, and you know, there's stuff like uh, Antonio Campos is the devil all the time that would maybe be a competition or uh, UCR play. That's something that uh, could be up for director's fortnight now, uh, which which does allow Netflix films. They had Wounds last year, the Babak Anvari film starring Dakota Johnson and Army Hammer that was eventually sold from Netflix to Hulu that uh, no one saw. <laughs> um... Yeah, so and then as, so as far as this Coppola, it's Apple is distributing in the U.S. because of, of their A twenty four deal, 
Um, yes. But then it's it they they don't have international distribution, so presumably that'll be part of why it's playing at can mm-hmm. is in aims yeah. of picking that up. Uh, I definitely yeah I know I I'm not super familiar with this movie in particular. Um, I do know Apple has been very like has in their a lot of their like look at all the artists we've attracted have been fairly Sofia Coppola forward with that. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're really sure. proud and excited to have her as like an artist in their stable. Um, which is, you know, makes sense, I think, for the image Apple is trying to, to, to present as they try to make a streaming service, uh, on their, on their devices make sense, yep. uh, in the, the increasingly yeah. fractured streaming landscape. Uh-huh. And the, uh, the only movie that Apple has released so far is The Elephant Queen, and That's that right. did play in theaters, so I would imagine that this will as well. Yes. Fortunately, they yeah. will not be going the way of, uh, say, early Netflix and totally skipping theaters. They're playing very, very few. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, for such a small movie, yeah. the Elephant yeah. Queen did fairly well. I think. Yeah. About the movie, I believe the plot is that uh, Bill Murray is like in like aging either rock star or like famous actor who decides to have just like an afternoon with her her do- his daughter played by Rashida Jones and it's just like them spending time together so it's like territory she's been like she's worn before maybe like in Lost in Translation and somewhere it's st- sings yeah. in that style mm-hmm. the can seems to love old Billiam Murray Sure. He's probably going to be there with the Wes Anderson, might be there with this. Opened it last year with The Dead Don't Die. Remember The Dead yeah, Don't Die? Yeah, wonderful movie. It's, uh, it's citation needed. Um, uh, well, have not watched, maybe we'll never watch. <laughs> sure. Uh, Deadline referred to Murray's character in the film merely as a playboy. Yeah. So, a larger-than-life Playboy, as most Playboys are. Yeah, I mean, again, it sounds very somewhere-y, which is also yep. about a yeah, Playboy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Marlon Wayans and Jenny Slate are also in the movie, so uh, an interesting cast for Can. Not necessarily what you would expect. So now we've got our first French film coming up. Can has a quota oh. in which I believe at least four French films play in competition each year. Uh, maybe they've gone down to three on very rare occasions. I think they've also gone up to five occasionally. I wouldn't be shocked to see the latter happen this year because there seem to be a lot of options, but I have not predicted that. But uh, this first movie is Bruno Dumont's on a half clear morning. Uh, this stars Lea Seydoux is a celebrity journalist uh, who has a, an accident that makes her reconsider her life. Uh, he's been at Cannes as well as other festivals in and out of competition. Uh, his last movies are uh, the Joan of Arc duology, which uh, the first one played Director's Fortnite and the one... The second one played on Certain Regard last year. Uh, he also had the sequel, uh, I believe both uh, Chin Chin movie slash miniseries played out of competition 
at Venice. Uh, but before that, his last movie, uh, Slack Bay, was in competition at Cannes in 2016, where it did not win anything. But he had previously won the Grand Prix twice in 1999 for Le Humanité and in 2006 for Flanders. I'm, I'm sure my French pronunciation is perfect. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I quite like Bruno Dumont. Uh, or I guess I've only seen Jeanette, The Childhood of Joan of Arc. But I like that movie quite a bit. He kind of kind of moved out i think his early movies including those grand prix movies were uh very much in keeping with the the new french extremity of the late 90s and early 2000s uh very very dark and violent and disgusting uh and he kind of moved out of that like slack bay despite being about cannibals is a little more of just a comedy uh the the um, Joan of Arc films are they're strange movies. The first one is a heavy metal musical, though the second one, which should be getting released in the U.S. sometime this year, apparently tones that down a little bit. Yeah, this sounds like maybe even his most mainstream movie to date. Uh, sounds like a pretty accessible story. Has a a big actress. He's he's worked with. Juliet Binoche before, but he's at Lea Seydoux now. <laughs> yeah, I'd be looking forward to this. I would like to see this. It sounds like an interesting premise, and I have not watched any of his films, but just by reputation, he seems like a cool, interesting director. I need to check out some of his stuff before this place can. Might try and watch one of those little Quinn Quins. Yeah, I haven't oh, seen anything either yeah. um, of his. Uh, the, I don't know, the, the, the French view of, like, Celebrity culture is, I, I think, mm. I guess, a, pers- a perspective that is usually at the very least amusing, if not one that I maybe find particularly insightful or, like, exciting. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that aspect is has me intrigued. I like Leah Seydoux as an actor a lot. Yeah. Speaking of Seydoux, uh, she is also in... The French Dispatch, and continuing on with the potential year of Seydoux, she is in Ildiko Enyedi's The Story of My Wife. Uh, Enyedi won the Golden Bear for her last film, which was a bit of a comeback, called On Body and Soul. Uh, and Andy's seen that movie. You want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, sure. That was a... Uh, it w- was... It- was the Oscar? It was in the Oscar race for uh, what was at the time best foreign language film. Uh, mm-hmm. I think two or three years ago, um, and uh, Netflix picked it up. So it's like a Netflix original. So like anyone in the U.S. can just watch it on Netflix. Uh, I believe it's um, uh, it's been a while, so I, my uh, my memory is not super clear. I remember it was fairly divisive. I think a lot of people really didn't respond to it. I think I liked it mm-hmm. a fair amount. It's like set in like the backdrop of like a slaughterhouse is like one of the main aspects that I remember of it and I think that can turn off a lot of people because it does it features like live slaughterhouse footage in it so like if that is something that you're squeamy about uh maybe maybe best to avoid um but like it's about a girl who like has is like maybe a little bit on the spectrum uh and like a guy uh and I think they connect 
Um, and But then, like, there's potential confusion as to, like, what level of consent they're, grant, they're granting and things like that. Um, so it was not, like, a super enjoyable watch, but I think it was one that I... Uh, th- th- that that, there, that I was not like so super turned off on certainly, and I yeah, would say it's I, probably worth a watch yeah. if you if you. If I spent. Yeah. I spent several years getting this movie confused with Spore, which is another movie directed in the mid to late 2010s by an Eastern European woman, also involving animals. Uh, that one is actually based. I recently found out it's based off of a book uh, that was written by the recent Nobel Prize winner, Olga Tokarczuk. Tokarczuk. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I, I've gotten a little more of a handle on what these two movies are now, that I've got a little more facts about them. Um, the story of my wife, Along with Sado stars Louis Garrel. I think he is the lead character. This is all. This is based on a novel as well, and it is about a sea captain who is dared to marry the first woman who walks into the bar he is in. Uh, and you can imagine that that does not go great. Hey, sounds like. Some European stuff. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, and like, yeah. I, th- I can I sort like of... Them... Yeah, go ahead. I like them both as actors a lot, so I, yeah. I'm i down to watch whatever goofy stuff, goofy or sad or tragic stuff happens within that premise, so... Right. Yeah, and it's cool to see uh, Enyadi's profile kind of rising like this. Uh, she, I, I, I think I mentioned that she took kind of a a break, I think, before on Body and Soul, and then came back in Berlin competition and took the main prize, which is why I'm imagining, especially since it did not surface at Berlin, that she may be upgraded. That may not be quite the right word for talking about going from Berlin to Cannes, but it, it is a more prestigious slot to be premiering at Cannes, I suppose, so it's not entirely incorrect. Uh, another movie is the Italian director Michelangelo Framartino's Il Buco. His last movie, Le Quattro Volte, played director's Fortnite, and I think that was only his second movie. Uh, this new movie, which uh, the English language title is currently, or at least if you directly translate it, it is the whole is about speleologists, which I believe is just a fancy word for uh, more scientific spelunkers, and they are being played by actual speleologists. I think he uh, spent like a year casting. That's about all that's known about the movie, but uh, Le Quattro Volte sounded super, super low-key. Uh, I believe that translates to four like, times. Sometimes. Oh. Uh, yeah, that is it's just like a movie about uh, an old guy uh, herding goats on a farm, I believe. Sounds very nice, perhaps. 
I will try and watch it and report back on that in the next few weeks, uh, especially if it ends up being announced for the competition, as I'm predicting. Yeah. I Yeah, I am typically skeptical of the, like, we hired these people to be in the movie. I am a big fan of hiring actors to be in movies. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It depends, I guess, on whether he's intentionally going for, like, a, a kind of documentary hybrid uh, mode. It's just like, I want to make a narrative movie, but I want to hire the people that, uh, you know, that can work. Uh, but yeah, I think you, you even something like Western, which is, for the most, which is a narrative uh, a, a fiction film, pretty much, I think, is ba- uh, Valeska Grisebach's movie that was in Uncertain Regard a couple years ago. That is still based off of the experiences of the lead actor, I think. So yeah. stuff like that, I think, can work pretty well. Or, or even, like, Heaven Knows What with Ariel Holmes, the Softy Brothers movie. Yeah, this is, like, b- my back-to-back two favorite genres of, like, independent or european movie of of comedy premise turned into horror or just people doing their job <laughs> which is very funny i enjoy this canon bait next up yeah we've got michelle franco's uh the dreams of a few uh his last movie was in uncertain regard uh that was called April's Daughter, and won the Jersey Prize. Uh, a couple years before that, he had Chronic, which was in competition. Uh, that actually starred Tim Roth, despite being shot in Mexico, I believe, and that one best screenplay in 2015. Uh, part of the reason I'm thinking he might get upgraded back to competition is that while he's been mostly pretty secretive about what this new movie is, he has said that it's a bit of a larger production than his previous movies. Uh, he's not someone who has a ton of critical acclaim. I can't say this is a movie I'm particularly anticipating, but he is someone of whom Terry Frimo, the, uh, I don't know what his title is, but basically the lead programmer at Cannes. Uh, I don't know if he's a, some kind of president or something. Uh, he, he seems to be a fan of Franco. Yeah, sounds good. Um, does it's like, is it so secretive that it doesn't even have like a cast that? Uh, I don't. I don't think there's anyone famous in the cast. Uh, I'm not positive that it even has an IMDb page, but it. I believe I read that it shot last year. Wikipedia refers to yeah. Fromo as the director of the cancel. The director of the festival. That sounds right. Yeah, I don't know. I It's not necessarily obvious that this film will be done, but the impression I am under is that it will be. And there's maybe a few other films on that kind of verge that I kind of arbitrarily picked a direction on. Uh, but one movie that does seem likely to be ready, considering that it was 
bandied about for Berlin is another movie that we have talked about. Uh, Mia Hansen loves Bergman Island. Uh, she's never actually been in competition at Cannes, despite being a French director. But uh, her last movie, Maya, actually just premiered at Toronto, and that was not the most successful movie. Uh, but her movie before that, Things to Come, she won Best Director for at the Berlin Film Festival. Uh, that movie, of course, is the movie that led to Meryl Streep, who was the president of the jury, watching Isabelle Huppert watching Juliette Vinoche as I believe who pairs character goes to see I think it's certified copy in things to come which is an interesting moment in <laughs> film history <laughs> yes yeah. um, this is when yeah. it is truly too bad that Cullen is asleep because he would have yep. more exciting things to say about number one movie. Mia Hansen love fan Cullen actually it's not yep. awake so therefore yeah. I can, but I, I can think just we're all excited for this as well. Yeah, I mean, we like I, the cast. Vicky I like Creek. the cast. I'm interesting. I'm interested to see what this is. I have not been the hugest fan of both of the movies. Well, one and a half because I like quit things to come halfway through. But those the are both movies to come. That I really like. I was kind of soft yeah. on it, and I, I was very I soft quit on Eden. Eden after about like. 10 minutes though uh, more <laughs> just because I got distracted as I am wont to do yeah but I'm always yeah. willing to be convinced by people never mm -hmm. yeah and I'm excited by the cast uh, of course uh, the aforementioned Tim Roth also in it after replacing Owen Wilson and John Turturro but yeah, we've talked about this. We talked about this plenty. You can go back to our 2020 preview to listen to more discussion of it. Uh, another director who won the Golden Bear uh, this time last year, who I am projecting in upgrade for, is Nadav Lapid, the Israeli director of Synonyms. Uh, his new movie is called Chaos, and is about a a filmmaker doing something in the desert. Uh, <laughs> sounds he, you know, his synonyms w was kind of a breakout for him uh, critically, at least. I think his previous movies were liked by some, but got more mixed reviews. Uh, the Kindergarten Teacher was adapted into an English-language film starring Maggie Gyllenhaal, which is on Netflix, uh, from the same director as Worth, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, the Michael Keaton, Stanley Tucci movie. Right. But yeah, Lapid, uh, I have missed synonyms the couple times that it's been in theaters here because of work in December and late November but it's going to be back in March playing at AFI and I plan on seeing it then yeah I'm also interested in seeing synonyms like mm -hmm. just missed it at Cannes due to like some I mean at TIFF due to some, some scheduling stuff right but, uh... yeah I think I I believe I chose Beanpool over it 
and then ended up selling my ticket to Bean Pool or switching it for another movie because it was late at night and I was tired. The kind of exciting yeah, decisions hopefully that I'll be seeing both of those festival. movies in the next couple of weeks. Yep. Maybe next year I won't be so tired at Toronto. I would say I expected it to get better last year and was actually worse, considering I slept through the majority of several uh, anticipated films. Yep. Which we I... don't have to talk about anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, yeah. we can talk about David Lowry's new movie. I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here. Lowry uh, did... He's not premiered a movie at Cannes, though uh, after playing Sundance, Ain't Them Bodies Saints, his first feature was a special screening at International Critics Week, which is a section for first or second features. He will, of course, no longer be eligible for that, and certainly is someone who I could imagine playing in playing a film in director's Fortnite or on certain regard, you know, it would be in a similar vein to the lighthouse perhaps last year, though that was not at the time it played or no, it wasn't a, that, that, that was not a pickup by a 24. That was one that they produced, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Cause they, they had the witch. I would imagine so. Uh, so yeah, it would be in a similar vein to that if it played director's Fortnite, but they did give it a release date, apparently a wide release date of May 29th, which I'm hoping is a sign both of their confidence and that they might think Can is in the cards. So it could have also, of course, also be a sign that they're just gonna throw it out there without any festivals like Midsummer last year. But yeah, I believe we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago. Uh, it stars Dev Patel as Sir Gawain, uh, as well as Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, uh, the guy from The Witch, whose name I don't remember, the dad, I believe, plays the titular Green Knight. I, I, as I mentioned, I'm very excited about this. I only necessarily love one of Lowry's movies, but I absolutely adore a ghost story. So I'm very excited for anything he does. Yeah, I mean, I I've only seen a ghost story, which is like near masterpiece, and uh, mm-hmm. Old Man and the Gun, which is like low key charming. I think he's a good director, yep. makes good movies. Excited for the cast. Yeah, and I think I mentioned that my hope here is that this one might be both a masterpiece and Loki charming. <laughs> yeah. I I have really yet to connect with one of his movies in a, like a super exciting way. Uh I do like Dev Patel a lot. Um excited to see him continue to be a leading man uh in in big movies. Uh th- yeah, I mean, you know, medieval stuff or like knights and horses stuff uh not typically my favorite genre but uh i do think i think period is a good match for lowry like i th- i like i like the idea of him working period um mm-hmm. so i yeah i like I, I think that aspect is a good match for him yeah he, he has worked period before with uh ain't them body saints 
that's uh, I think that's set in like the seventies or eighties. So that uh, that that's the one of his movies that feels a little bit just Malick knockoffy, in my opinion. Um, not, not, not to insult what... David Lowry, he'd certainly be welcome on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, he seems like a very pleasant individual who I would be happy to have yeah. a conversation with. Mm-hmm. I would say his his triumphs outweigh the movies that I like slightly less. Uh, another director whose movies I'm not familiar with is Naomi Kawase. Uh, her new film, she'd be another person who'd be getting a little bit of a step back up. She had a movie uh, maybe three or four years ago called On, which is uh, translates in Japanese to Red Bean Paste, and that opened Uncertain Regard. Her movie after that, despite starring Juliette Binoche, uh, just was a, uh, you know, just premiered in Japan without any major festivals. I think it may have been Toronto as well. Uh, but this new movie, Comes Morning, is based on a 2015 novel about a couple who's being extorted by someone who claims to be the biological... The- the biological mother of their adopted daughter. Uh, Kawase is another director, kind of like Michelle Franco, who critics are not particularly on board with, but Primo is a kind of latched on to. And in some way, maybe I'm over-predicting those types of directors since he has moved them down to a certain regard in the past few years, but... I don't know. I never really trust him. Uh, he, he's got to have a few duds every year, though uh, many of those come from the French selection, and we're about to get to what I think might be one of those. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Kawasi is someone who interests me a little more. Before on Envision, she'd had a ton of movies play, and I think five movies in competition at Cannes. Uh, like five of her first six movies or something uh and she she's someone who from what i heard does have like a particular voice and like a style an interesting style so she's someone who i i at least would give a chance even if a lot of the things i've heard from critics are not great yeah i don't feel like i really have anything to contribute uh i'm not not familiar um uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Another director who I don't know that anyone but me is familiar with is My Wen, the single-named French director. Her last movie uh, was in competition at Cannes as one of the uh, French duds that is often in competition, uh, at least critically. It did win Best Actress in a tie with Rooney Mara's performance in Carol. I believe I heard rumor that Xavier Delon, who was on the jury that year, lobbied for that win, both because he liked Burko and because he did not like Carol so much and did not want to give it a sole win. Uh, Her movie before that won the jury prize. Uh, This uh, a movie which is 
in English called DNA. I believe in French that's ADN or some other order of those three letters. <laughs> uh, it's about a woman who loses her grandfather and then kind of after his death uh, becomes embroiled in family drama. Uh, she is one of the stars of the film as well as Louis Garrel again and uh, Marine Vax. Vax? Vox, it's a V-A-C-T-H, who I really liked in a competition title from a, a few years ago called Double Lover by Francois Ozone, who's another director, another French director who could surface, but I did not include in these predictions just because of the wealth French options, though he is someone who has played Berlin several times and who seemed like an option for this year and did not make it, uh, but that, you know, that could mean any number of things. It could mean that he's waiting for Cannes, it could mean that it didn't get into Berlin, it could mean that, uh, who knows. Yeah, uh, but my when, uh, the, one of the movies that if it is announced for competition, I would be not anticipating quite so much. Uh, fortunately, I think it's the last of those movies uh, that we're going to have to talk about. Anyone got anything to say about my win? Sounds like I wouldn't be into it. <laughs> Louis Garrel getting work, good for him. Exciting. I believe he was in her previous film as well. I think that starred... Co and Vincent Cassell uh, it was called uh, Monroy, my king. Uh, there we've are got... only ten French actors. Yep. We've got the previously mentioned Italian director Nanni Moretti, hater of Holy Motors, whose previous movie was in competition uh, Mia Madre, Starring Margarita Bai, uh, Moretti, and John Turturro. Uh, he didn't win anything for that movie, though he has won the palm in the past for The Sun's Room in 2001. He's kind of someone who, if he has a new movie, it's gonna be in Cannes. Uh, he's also, him and Margarita Bai are in this movie as well, uh, Alba Rohrwacher of uh, the sister of Alicia Rohrwacher, who starred in her movie Happy as Lazaro, which was in competition a couple years ago, who I really like. This is another uh, literary adaptation. Uh, it's called Three Floors and is in three parts and is about three different families that live in the same, uh, I think, slightly bougie Italian apartment building. But yeah, Moretti is not the most highbrow necessarily. Not doesn't have the isn't the most beloved by the highbrow, but I think he's pretty respected. And I thought Mia Madre was fairly good. He is someone who's very he's maybe someone who is not liked as much even by the people who like foreign language movies in the United States. He is very popular, I think much more popular in France. Uh, Mia Madre, I believe, was on Cahiers du Cinema's top ten list in the 
for 15, 16, whenever it came out in France. Yeah, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gianfranco Rossi, uh, his two previous films, oh. one... Before you that, Miyamoto was number seven on their decade list, also. Oh, really? Okay, yes. so yeah. They're, they're right, I do remember that. Yeah, they're big into him. The French love him. Uh, Gianfranco Rossi is a documentarian, the only documentarian to have won two of the three major European prizes. He has won the Golden Lion, he has won the Golden Bear, he's coming for the Golden Palm. (laughs) Uh, This film, Notturno, I believe was shot in the Middle East. Not that much is known about it, but uh, his previous movie was shot, I believe, in Italy, uh, and is about the European migration crisis uh, that's called Fire at Sea. I would imagine that this could have some similar themes. Yeah, I believe I saw Fire at Sea. I think that was Oscar nominated that year. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, a real issues guy. Mm hmm. Hey. There are issues out there. Somebody's got to make movies about them, you know? Yep. I mean, is that the the European EGOT is getting the lion, the bear, and the palm? I guess so. It's I mean, even rarer, though, right? I think so. It's very few people. So there are three people who have won all three of those awards, uh, but the only references I can find to those three people are... Merely noting that Michelangelo Antonioni is one of those three, so I will perhaps take a look at who the other two are, and maybe I'll tweet it out. Yeah, something to be excited for next episode, maybe. Yeah, at some point that will be revealed. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, perhaps we're looking at a fourth, though. It would be quite the streak, because I think that would make him three for three. Um, Ulrich Seidel is a director who I am predicting will make his return to the Cannes competition. His last two films, uh, he apparently doesn't consider himself a documentarian, but his last two films have featured documentary elements. Uh, Those were... In the Bedroom, and I can't remember what the other one uh, was called, but it's about... uh, Oh, it's called uh, Safari, I think, and it's about uh, big game hunting. Uh, I think both of these films are not looking at particularly sympathetic figures. Uh, But uh, his previous narrative films were the Paradise Trilogy... uh, and he premiered those starting at Cannes, and then the next one at Venice, and the one after that at Berlin the following year. Uh, and has had several movies in Cannes competition before that. This is his return to uh, more strictly fiction filmmaking. Uh, the movie's called Wicked Games, and is about two adult brothers who reunite to bury their mother and then return to their separate lives, uh, which sounds like a plot for a movie. Okay, 
Obviously, that the Chris Gaines Wicked Games. I mean, not the Chris Gaines. Whatever that guy's that country singer's uh, name. Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac's yeah, Wicked Games. Singer. Well, I don't know. That song is country-ish. Is it? I don't know. It has twangy guitars. Don't make yes. me have to. I would not <laughs> describe. See what Wikipedia describes Chris Isaac as. Will it? Well, so that song. That song is called Wicked Game. This movie is called Wicked Games. So you're telling me that it's actually based on the the weekend song Wicked Games. I suppose so. See, I think it's an, uh, a a surprise. It is the adaptation of the musical Wicked. We never saw it coming. It's going to be a can. And it's about uh, two uh, witches who meet each other in Oz. And we learn more about them. It's all uh-huh. smoke screen. Yeah. Chris Isaac, Wikipedia describes merely as a American musician and occasional actor. Of course, one of the stars of Twin Peaks' Fire Walk With Me. Uh, but his, his style, anyway, is just like... Uh, kind of like very much indebted to like 50s rock like very Roy Orbison influence but yeah he has most likely nothing to do with this film hmm you say now we'll see maybe the two adult brothers who are reuniting are in fact not actually brothers but the Two agents played by Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland in Firewalk with Me, who will be reuniting after uh, about 30 years. Crossing my fingers. Up next. Yep. Uh, Abderrahame Sisako. Uh, his last movie was in competition. Uh, Timbuktu. Quite well received. His new movie is called The Perfumed Tree, and is a, he has described it as a love story that was shot both in Africa and China. I believe somewhere I saw this perhaps misinterpreted, uh, sort of mis, sort of in a little game of telephone, though maybe I'm the one who's on the wrong end of the game, as a love story between Africa and China. That would be interesting, but I don't think that's what this is. I'd I'd watch either film. Yep. The geographic yeah, he's, location. He's a uh, he's an exciting director. Again, I've not seen any of his movies. Someone who's uh, I've seen many of their movies, and again, who we talked about on our preview of 2020 is Paul Verhoeven, the director of Benedetta. Uh, his last two movies, uh, Black Book, was in competition at Venice, where it did not win anything. L was, of course, in competition at Cannes, where it also did not win anything. The, that was in a particularly dark year for Cannes, in which that film won nothing. Tony Erdman won nothing. Patterson won nothing. Uh, Sierra Nevada, a Maybe that did win something. I think it uh, did. I don't think... Maybe. Uh, but a lot of movies won nothing, and of course the Palme d'Or went to Ken Loach for the second time for <laughs> I, Daniel Blake. You see that a now? The biggest villain of this cinema. podcast. <laughs> wait, wait, till, wait till Ken Loach comes swinging by this year. Sweeps it up. Yeah. My mom does love Ken Loach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, so we talked about Benedetta. It's the sexy nun movie. Uh, sounds very Paul Verhoeven. Virginia Fira, who's starred in the competition title Sybil last year. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, yet another movie that we talked about, Memoria, yes. the Apichat Pong Verisethical movie, mentioned even earlier this episode in our discussion of Neon. Uh, Verisethical, of course, won the Palm d'Or from Tim Burton's jury in 2010 for Uncle Blue and Me, who can recall his past lives. And then, uh, somewhat bizarrely, was demoted to a certain regard uh, for Cemetery of Splendor, his next movie. It sounds like that was just a, comp- uh, a combination of it being considered less accessible, which I maybe it was, because I did uh, barely stay awake through it, though I was kind of earlier in my... Uh, journey through art cinema at that point than when I watched Uncle Boon Me. Uh, and also just that I think that was a very crowded year for competition. It was uh, 2014? 15? I think 15. That's the year of uh, Mia Madre, which we just mentioned. Uh, stuff like The Lobster, Carol, Monroy... Monroy, uh, certainly deserving of being in competition over, uh, Cemetery of Splendor. Though I guess that's one of the French movies, though. That may be one of the years where there were five French movies, so, I don't know. Excited for this. Yeah. More Tilda. Yeah, I, cause, yeah, considering it is a Tilda Swinton film... I can't imagine that this would also be in uncertain regard. I'm sure Thierry Fremo will be thrilled to have him in competition this year. Zhenyamo uh, has at least two, if not three, movies in the bank. One second was, uh, I believe it was announced to be in competition for... Uh, Berlin last year, but was uh, not signed off uh, on by the Chinese government, and it was pulled. But I believe they have signed off on that now. Uh, he has another movie called Rock Solid that uh, is also like done, and another movie that he shot at the end of last year uh, that doesn't have a title. I think one of those movies, at least, is like a, a urban gangster movie, and then I think one of the other ones is a more rural set movie. His last movie, Shadow, was released in the U.S. in 2019. It uh, to was seen as kind of a comeback uh, that played out of competition at Venice in 2018. He's won... I've written here that he's won prizes at all three festivals. I do not believe he is one of the directors who has won the top prize at all three. Though he, I want to say he's won the palm. Made a lot of movies. For uh, Raise the Red Lantern, maybe? Um... He has made quite a few movies. He kind of, yeah, I mean, like his last, he hit, he, he, had a lot of commercial success even in the uh 
United States in kind of the early 2000s. Uh, he has not won the Palm. He's not won the Palm. Yeah, raised the Red Lantern won something, I guess. And they, it see. was nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. Uh-huh. It won... Is it Venice? So it did not win anything it can. <laughs> uh, Alright. So yeah, I am perhaps hedging my bets a little bit by predicting that he will make his return to can competition with one of these three films. We've got uh, another American director, uh, Chloe Zhao, of course the director of the Rider, which uh, premiered at Directors Fortnight. Her previous movie, Songs My Brother Taught Me, premiered at Sundance, but then also played Directors Fortnight. Uh, as someone who has been picked up as a potential major American filmmaker, it seems like she would be prime to take the step up to competition, especially as they're hopefully looking to include more women in the competition. I believe I have five, six women on this list, which would be uh, not great, but an improvement from the last few years. Yeah, five, so, eh, could be better. Uh, at one point, I had uh, Julie Ducournau on this list as one of the potential French movies before I was informed that that movie has not actually shot yet. So uh, that got crossed off the list. Um, yeah. To clarify an earlier point, Yang Yimou's film To Live won the Grand Prix at the 1994 Cannes Film Festival. Okay, I've seen that movie. I watched it in uh, East Asian Studies class. It's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, so Nomadland, which I'm not sure we've talked about, is oh, her, one of her two 2020 movies. Uh, this one stars Frances McDormand and David Strathairn. Yeah, highly anticipated. It's her first movie with, uh, name actors. Her second movie with name actors is, of course, the Eternals, which I'm going to have to insist that we do not talk about at all, as it is antithetical to the theme of the podcast. What if it premieres at Venice? I'm excited for the Eternals, <laughs> I will say. Um, uh, also, yeah, yeah uh, Francis McDormand uh, having a big year, it seems like. That's yep. uh, not something that I would necessarily expect to happen, because uh, yep. she seems to work fairly selectively. So her being in like a couple of movies this year, that's really cool. Yeah, I uh, looked into Macbeth, and it seems like that maybe either has just started shooting or just is just about to start shooting, so it would have to be done very quickly to be a candidate for Cannes. Uh, I would imagine we're looking at a return to Venice after the Ballad of Buster Struggs for the newly lone filmmaker Joel Cohen. I've got one more film, should be the 21st on the list. That would be probably the maximum of what we're looking at in competition. I think they've maybe gone up to 22, especially if it's like particularly short movies. Uh, 
And uh, this director, Ramon Zorcher, did previously direct a quite short movie called The Strange Little Cat, uh, which is a, a strange family drama that does involve a little cat. Uh, that premiered in Forum at Berlin, uh, and this certainly could be in a sidebar at Cannes. Uh, it does in some ways feel very on certain regard, but uh, I'm, I, I guess, again, going out on a limb and saying eh, maybe they put him up in competition. He seems like a really exciting new voice. Perhaps he's someone who they would like to sort of stamp their seal of approval on. Uh, this new movie is called The Girl and the Spider and is another probably strange little family drama. Yeah, seems like an interesting guy. Excited to see whatever mm-hmm. he's making next and hope. Yep. So, I mean, if an international film festival with a platform like Cannes has the power to do anything, it's to promote voices of like cool new people who are doing interesting stuff and i hope they yep do that though if i like this is the end of the list of your predictions i will say that the only thing i'm concerned with is that it's a lot of like upgrading and like new good people and i'm just like i'm really though that's not necessarily because i was leaving out anyone obvious yeah, that that but yeah, that's what I was leading out to. Is like I assume some of more some of the people who are more Star Wars were like quieter, like European people who like we know less about their movie than how they're making them. Then will eventually show up. I will. I wouldn't be surprised if more standard can people showed up and took some of these spots. Maybe I. I don't. I mean, I I, I was pretty extensive in my research of like who has made movies that should be done. I mean, there's a few people who, mostly French people, who I'm skeptical of if they'll be done. So, like, that doesn't really affect, like, you know, I've already got a fairly high-profile French selection with uh, Mia Hansen-Love, My Wen, Leos Carax, and uh, Bruno Dumont. Uh, so there's, uh, talk, moving on to, like, some of the other people who I considered, there's, uh, three fairly high-profile French directors who, from what I can tell, their movies don't seem likely to be ready, are, uh, Alain Giraudy, the director of, uh, Staying Vertical, which was in competition, and before that, Stranger by the Lake, which won on certain regard, Laurent Contet, who has won the Palme d'Or before, but I think has also been in a certain regard since then. And uh, Stéphane Brise, who's been both in Cannes and Venice uh, competition with his recent movies, I know. Um, I believe it was called Measure of a Man. I think that was that same year, 2015, uh, that we've talked about a bit. That one, Best Actor for... Vincent Lindon. And there's other French directors. I mentioned Francois Ozone. He's another kind of venerable guy. Another guy who potentially could be one of those getting upgraded. Uh, Bertrand Mandinko. Or Mandico. Uh, he had a movie called 
the Wild Boys that maybe premiered at a sidebar at Venice or maybe even some other fall festival uh, in 2017. Uh, I will say I watched that movie, which uh, a lot of people I know like very much, and uh, I eventually reached my threshold of hairy fruit and uh stopped watching maybe i'll give that another try at some point when i feel particularly ready for a lot of hairy fruit uh and then we've got nicole garcia another one uh, someone else who's directed some of the less well-liked french films and competition she had a movie with Marion Cotillard a few mo- a few years ago that was called like To the Moon or something like that that sounded like kind of a dud. Uh, in terms of Americans, there's uh, Koganada. I could certainly imagine being in a sidebar. I could also maybe imagine him being someone who would get upgraded to competition. Uh, maybe. We, I, I've got that kind of David Lowry spot of, like, someone who maybe breaks through. Uh, maybe that can end up being Koganada instead with... Um, After Yang. Yes, which we talked about. Uh, a couple people who could appear in sidebars. Uh, I'd heard at one point that Netflix wanted to get Charlie Kaufman's new movie I'm thinking of ending things out sometime this spring but it's of course a Netflix movie so it you know I could see him being like maybe even like opening uh director's Fortnite. I mentioned Antonio Campos as someone who could be in director's Fortnite with another Netflix movie uh Another Coppola has a movie, Gia Coppola, her follow-up to Palo Alto, which stars uh, Andrew Garfield and Maya Hawke. Uh, a few other European directors. Kirill Serebrennikov was in um, competition with his last movie, Ledo. Uh, I didn't put him on this list, both because... I'm not entirely sure that his new movie will be done, and also because uh, Leto went over, like, okay, but, like, it, it like, kind of sneaked into getting U.S. distribution eventually. Um, didn't really hear a lot about it. Um, Cornel Mundrusco, who directed, he had a movie about dogs, and then he had a movie called Jupiter's Moon, which, for which he got upgraded to competition. Uh, that was not very well received. Mundrusco's new movie is his English language debut, which could perhaps point to it being a little higher profile and more desirable for competition. However, it stars Shia LaBeouf and Vanessa Kirby, which, I don't know, I guess those are well-liked actors in some circles, but sounds a little bit low-rent to me. Not like a a big can cast. Sounds a little Venice-y to me, if one could say. Possibly. Sounds even a little bit tiffy. Sure. Yep. For sure. uh, some more directors who 
may or may not have a movie ready. Uh, Christy Puyu, who has Momkrog uh, playing opening encounters at Berlin, uh, is r rumored to maybe have another movie called Manor House that also is done. But I've also heard that Manor House may just be the English language title of Momkrog, so uh, it's unclear if there's another movie there. Uh, Ken might be happy to have Joanna Hogg's new movie, The Souvenir Part 2, even though uh, it's part two of a movie that was released at Sundance. They, of course, last year took part two of a movie that had been released at uh, Venice, uh, in Mektoub, my love, Intermezzo, uh, that is another, of course, uh, Canto Due, the third part, even though it's the second part, because there was an Intermezzo, uh, Jesus is perhaps Christ. another option. <laughs> I've heard that might be done, uh, but back to Hog, uh, I'm not, uh, she, she said she wasn't even sure that movie would be done this year, so, if anything, I would expect Venice for that. And then another director who, I don't think he, uh, he may not have even started shooting yet is, uh, but I do want to mention, because he's someone exciting, is, uh, Miguel Gomes, the Portuguese director who did, uh, Arabian Nights, the part movie uh which premiered at director's fortnight and before that he did taboo days. sorry i had to get that out continue those are uh two of the most uh claimed movies of the last few years uh lav diaz has another movie he's got a movie pretty much every year uh he's never made competition at Cannes, but he has been in competition at both Venice and Berlin. It's always possible that he finally makes it in at Cannes, though they seem, they, they seem particularly uh, wary of programming uh, super long movies, though uh, I've heard this one may be under four hours, so maybe that's short enough for them. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all I've got written down. Um, do we want to maybe make, before we go, <laughs> make predictions for, uh, a, an early prediction, which I, we yeah. will probably update for the Palme d'Or. Oh, boy. I'll go first, because I came in with a prediction. Sure. I think my win is winning the Palme d'Or. I think we're... We're due after two great palms for another dud. Uh, we've got, you know, a relatively high-profile cast. Sounds very baity. So yeah, despite being vulnerable for a competition slot, I am gonna go with her. And of course, if she does not make competition, I will make a new prediction when that competition is announced, which should be Midi. I'm gonna say Rossi does it. He goes three <laughs> for three. <laughs> it's it's time. It's time. Um, Lions and palms and bears. Oh yeah. my! How do you? How Rossi would you arrange those? Like, in, in do you think? Like, what would you, what would your 
design aesthetic. I think you arrange them chronologically. Yeah. I think aesthetically, the just like the golden bear is probably the longest, so you would probably put it in the middle, mm-hmm. and then you put lion and palm at either you side. You could make an argument so I don't for know. putting the the two animals on the edges, and then putting the non-animal in the middle for a little bit of symmetry. Yeah, for sure. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Whenever he wins it, which he will because I have the creed, so we'll, <laughs> we'll I'll try and contact yes, the journalist we'll do, to be make sure that yeah, or him. maybe we'll do a an, a little interview with Gianfranco Rossi, uh, who will be our our first guest, <laughs> talking purely yes. about arrangement well, of awards. <laughs> that's I mean that's what I'm in this podcast for is just to find out like how they when you win an award, how do you handle the uh, interior decorating of it all. I will. Um, I will think of uh, if I can uh, think of any any uh, festival award winners whose DMs I'm willing to slide into. <laughs> um. All right. I guess I have to make a pick. You do. Um. I'll I'll say uh let's let's do the Chloe Zhao the Nomad Land. Sure. Um. That sounds. That sounds. I think that would be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, especially giving her a big year would be good. Mm-hmm. I was gonna suggest we predict which movie makes more money: Nomadland or The Eternals. Huh. That was gonna be my suggestion for for a prediction. Well, I refuse to say the name of the other movie again, so I'm gonna say Nomadland. Hmm. What if the entirety of Nomadland plays in the middle of Eternals? <laughs> I'm all for it. Let's do it. Like, at one point, it's like, yeah, Angelina Jolie and Camille Nangiani are just like, you want to go catch a flick? And then they do, and then it's just all of Nomadland. And then uh, it turns out the Eternals is uh, actually four and a half hours long, longer than Endgame. Yeah, the uh, the sure. last American movie to win the palm was uh, The Tree of Life in 2011, when Malik won. So, it, it hasn't been that long. And yeah, and I mean, you know, I saw the writer. Uh, Chloe Zhao is not completely on Malik like in her qualities. That's true. Um, so uh, yeah, I think there's 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 something there maybe. Yeah, it looks like we get about one a decade. Uh, while there were uh, there, there's one last decade, which is uh, Elephant, or no two, because uh, Elephant, and then the year after that, Michael Moore won for uh, Fahrenheit nine eleven, and then. <laughs> Most of the 90s, the bulk of the 90s, if you were to go from 92 to 98, you would have one American winner, and that would be Quentin Tarantino. But then at the beginning of the decade, you've got the end of that streak in which Sex, Lies, and Videotape wins in 89, but then Wild at Heart wins in 90, and Barton Fink wins in 91. So yeah, I'm going to make Cullen record a segment in which he predicts the Palme d'Or winner. Uh, I'll let him listen to this first if he wants to. A rough cut, at least. Alright, so this is Cullen doing a prediction for what will win the Palme d'Or at this year's Cannes Film Festival. Uh, I'm going to be just going off of the predictions that were made in the episode. Uh, I'm also fresh out of seeing the trailer for the French Dispatch. So, I'm a little inclined to go with that. But also the rest of the movies, uh, or rest of the predictions, rather. Uh, there's a lot to love, I think, of 
you know, the Coppola. I, of course, am inclined to go with Mia Hansen Loves, Bergman Island, but I think, you know, the uh, Memoria looks good as well. It's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go with my prediction. I'm not, I'm going to be bold of nothing else and say that the winner of the 2020 Palm d'Or will be Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. Bye. What random Hollywood movie opening in like May or June do you think is going to be at Cannes? Box Office Mojo, which is still the website that I look at for schedule so like stream yeah movies. like solo did and all that yeah solo, what what are uh, what are what are the dates it's like uh mid-may i'd say so like uh so my prediction would be spiral from the book of salt woman in the window is probably too early oh that's the same weekend as spiral so yeah maybe one of those uh, in June, in like later May and June, there's the John Stewart movie. I could see that like showing up somewhere. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Or um, Scoob. That that's some <laughs> Scoob. What if it's F nine? Uh, I mean, they can I mean, certainly they... So- show Soul. Oh. Obviously, onward went to Berlin right. and or Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl. Uh. I don't know, I feel like people have maybe been waiting for Pixar to be in competition, and I guess maybe Teeth Doctors, they gotta do that. I, I, I don't know, I might throw up if that happened. <laughs> Minions, The Rise of Brew at the beginning of July, that's probably the latest we'd be looking at. If they wanted to get, if they could get Tom Cruise, I'm sure they'd be happy to show Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah Top Gun Maverick does yeah, seem that's like possible. it seems like yeah. can the out of comp premiere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's in the Heights. Who's to? Hey. Yeah. That trailer is uh gives uh-huh. me uh, chills. So. Let's, let's yeah, do it. I think we've listed most, most of the movies coming <laughs> yes. out in May and June. It's going to be one of those, probably. So, yeah, I think uh, I think we're we're about ready to sign off. Uh, again, I am Jesse Weber. You can follow me on Twitter at JPGlickWeber. Uh, Glick, G-L-I-C-K, Weber, W-E-B-B-E-R. I'm Andy Germuga uh, and you can, at uh, yeah, Andy T. Germ on all social media platforms. Uh, I'm Emilio Diaz at... Emilio and Diaz on Twitter now. Uh, double D's at there at the end, Linda and Diaz part. So yeah, mm-hmm. you can That's follow you can the find podcast me. at Can I Kick It? Spelled the same way the name of the podcast is. You can look at your uh, your podcast app. Um. Yeah. So I think we can release our audience. Bye-bye. Have a good week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody.